Greetings, friends! Welcome back to the Film Alchemist Podcast, the show where we take the movies we love, break them apart, to find out what gives them their magic, weird Scott Glenn sex magic, you'll have to wait and find out. I'm your host, Josh Griffey, here for a brief introduction before today's stunning ironclad episode. It's official. We're on Patreon. That's right, patreon.com slash Pod. The best way to support the show. The best way to make this show exactly what you want it to be. Every month you get a vote on our Patreon-exclusive movies. We have a feature-length commentary. we got miniseries, our new miniseries, uh, Tales from the Grip. A deep dive into every episode of Tales from the Crypt coming out soon. So, guys, we're working really hard over there to make sure it is worth your time and support. So, if you would be so kind, again, that's patreon.com slash Pod. For those of you who already support us, thank you so much. You know we love you. Uh, make sure you go to YouTube, subscribe uh, to our YouTube channel, Film Alchemist. You can see our faces over there. Uh, you can email the show, filmalchemistpod at gmail.com. Also, make sure you're leaving those five-star ratings and reviews wherever you find us. Helps us defeat the algorithmic overlords that won't let our talisman escape this goddamn keep. You know what I mean? Help us! All right, that's enough of that business. Guys, we're here today to talk about a very exciting episode. We are discussing today the keep Michael Mann's The Keep. Uh, a mysterious film. Almost lost to the sands of time, right? Uh, we are joined today by two guys that I love and adore. You guys know them. They've both been on the show before. Uh, Brian and Blake Salisbury, respectively, of uh, Junk Food Cinema Podcast, which I know you all love, and the Replay Purview Podcast, which I know you guys would all love as soon as you find it. Uh, Brian and Blake, I'm so happy to have them in my life. Uh, they are absolutely wonderful guys. Just enormous hearts. And... If you are kind enough to join their Junk Food Cinema uh, Patreon group, you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. They have uh, tons of people who just are drawn to how kind they are, right? Um, their, their generosity. Uh, they're really funny and interesting guys. But they also have this great way of making all of us feel welcome and excited that we get to be a part of this thing that they've created, right? Um, so I love these guys very dearly. As you'll hear during the keep... I kind of just fell into it just was one of those great pods where it really felt like I was just comfortably sitting and talking to uh, very dear friends of mine, which is exactly what we did. Um, I had never seen The Keep, so this was a really fun movie that they brought. They had all kinds of interesting uh, tidbits about the film. So more than anything, I'm just glad that these guys decided to do the pod with us, that they made the time in their busy schedules. And more than anything, I'm just glad that these guys are my friends, man. My life is better for knowing these two guys and so will yours uh make sure you go support junk food cinema and the replay preview podcast you can thank me later uh without any more of my babbling the keep with brian and blake salisbury all right guys welcome back to the show uh very excited for this one two of our dearest friends have made the time to come and talk about an underappreciated gem. <laughs> uh, would you guys care to introduce yourselves and the movie you selected today? Well, all I can tell you is that this fantasy football league just became a keeper league, hey! ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> because the Salas boys have arrived with their Michael Mann crush. <laughs> I am wow. I am Brian Salisbury, co-host of the Junk Food Cinema podcast, as well as the Replay Preview podcast that I co-host with my brother. Yep, my name is Blake. Uh, no puns, just uh, Block A. I guess that's a pun in itself, so that is, uh, a there ruins that one. Uh, yeah, no, <laughs> we chose The Keep because it's a 
fantastic film in all regards. Yeah. Pre-release, release, post-release. It's, Just it's the definition film. of like a visionary film that doesn't like it, it's a broken film. And I think the ways that it's broken are every bit as fascinating as the ways that it works. And I yeah. am excited to talk about both of those things. Yeah, I because I, I had never seen this actually, right? It was one of those I had heard about and just never gotten to. Um, so right off the bat, you're just like, there's fucking Nazis and a, like, what the fuck is happening? Why are they guarding this fucking thing? It, it's a bizarre film, right? So where mm -hmm. did you when did you guys fall in love with this film and find it? Well, I saw it shortly after I moved to Austin because I had the very good fortune when I first moved here of living within walking distance of Vulcan Video. So oh, yeah. I rented the uh, VHS because one of the things we're going to have to talk about with this movie is that it has never been released on a format beyond Laserdisc. It's never been released is on DVD. <laughs> never been released on Blu-ray. It's usually very hard to find streaming. Um, but we, I, and then I was, uh, lucky enough to get to take Blake to a 35 millimeter screening of it at the Alamo draft house. So I kind of rocked his world with it. And it's just, it's, I'm a big fan of, of dream logic movies. I'm a huge fan of Michael Mann. Uh, I'm a big fan of any time you add sort of fairy tale elements or supernatural elements with historical elements, especially world war two fantasy or world war ii sci-fi whatever that may be like it's just it's it's something that's one of my cinematic catnips and i think this movie just hits all of those things and then you add in a half naked scott glenn mm -hmm. and uh yeah i mean it's, you have the recipe for a fantastic movie and also an old but not yet old but still old ian mckellen <laughs> Yes. So it kind of really yeah. evens out and just makes it seem like the old Ian McKellen is the Ian McKellen of today, but the young Ian McKellen is somehow the split timeline and back to the future. <laughs> it a, yeah, it was a real nebulous age range for the Ian McKellen of this film. Yes. You're right, Blake. It is kind of like in Back to the Future 2 where he peels off the, like when we were kids and we put glue all over our face and then let it oh, dry. Hell yeah. It's like that. He like peels it off like, look how much younger I am. And I'm like, you're st okay. Uh, like Ian McKellen, I refuse to believe that Dick Smith didn't work on this movie for at least a day to do the makeup to make a 35-year-old Ian McKellen look like he was 70 because it's the exact same reason that I always thought that, um, oh, God, now I'm going to fucking blank on his. I want to see Jurgen Prock now, but that's wrong. I'm talking about instead the guy who always worked with Bergman who was in The Exorcist as the old priest and whose name is fucking oh, uh, Max von Sydow? Yes. It's the reason I thought Max von Sydow was 80 years old for 80 years. Yeah. <laughs> and I Wait, think this... did you just say that Ian McKellen in this film was actually 35 years old? That may he not was. be the right number, but he was oh. very young. <laughs> yeah. He's pretty young. It's pretty close. And he it's a good... nowhere near as old as he looks at the beginning of the movie. It's a good segue to talk to you about the production of this film because yeah. it was a fucking mess. <laughs> huge mess and in fact ian mckellen has been stated in interviews saying that he would sit in the um the chair to do makeup to basically make himself look old for like hours on end and some days they just never called him to do any scenes they just put him in the makeup <laughs> chair to do that and and michael man just never called him so like it was kind of wrought with with despair to begin with this it's was a his, curse it's a cursed film it's a it's cursed a, production it's his second motion picture film and he only gets 500k more than what he got from in Thief, and he takes it from the Chicago streets to where did he film his Brian in Wales? Trying he to make it, it Wales, trying Romania, to make it look right? like Rom well, he, he's making it look like Romania, Wales. but he shot it in Wales. <clears throat> and it's just it's just kind of wrought with issues at the beginning, um, and you know as as lore has it with the special uh, effects supervisor uh, Wally, uh, what is it Veers? 
Veers, uh, he dies, and that guy was basically a part of things like 2001 Space Odyssey, right. uh, Superman, uh, Rocky Horror Picture Show. So he was like the visionary. Right. And this guy just passes away two weeks into post production, and so, everyone's like, "Yeah, we got some notes from this guy, right? Like we know what the fuck's <laughs> happening." Like, nope, nothing, no, no idea what the fuck he was gonna do. He so. took his vision for the keep to his grave, yes. which is, I think, any filmmaker would tell you, not ideal. Uh, usually there is at least one meeting where everybody right. gets on the same fucking page during pre-production. We're talking about they're in post-production. Two weeks into post, their special effects supervisor dies, and nobody knows what he was going to do. So Michael Mann takes over and goes, okay, here's what I think the final showdown should look like. And he goes to Paramount and goes, this is what I need for it. And they're like, you're not getting any more money. So, and also, uh, we are cutting your movie down considerably because Michael Mann's first three and a half hours, three and a half, three and a half hours, three and a half hours. Oh and my he, God. He comes in with a three and a half hour cut and basically doesn't have the special effects done yet. Like, holy <laughs> shit, that's crazy. He's like, it worked for Lucas once. It'll be fine. Yeah. No, I, I guess it, it does seem odd that it ends on like an intergalactic t-shirt cannon, yeah. but yes, you know, like. I, I will say this. I did pause the movie at about an hour, and I was like, there's another fucking 50 minutes of this, huh? Like, I thought we were getting, like, once Scott Glenn, like, lays the fucking intergalactic pipe, I was like, all right, we're wrapping this up, right? This is like a final send-off. You really need to be specific when you're talking about which pipe he is laying in this movie. Because he carries a pipe. <laughs> he carries one with him as well. I and that's Like a saying. guy who walks into a bar with a specialty pool cue. That's essentially Scott Glenn in this movie. He looks like the kind of guy who would carry a weapon into a bar and immediately look for Griffey to start a fight. <laughs> yeah. I don't know why that is. It's just something that happens. And by the way, as we're it's sitting here recording, I just got a notification from Spotify that your Frankenhooker episode dropped. Did you release an episode as we were talking? Are you guys that prolific and I just never knew this? No. I know no. that hand out this morning. <laughs> okay. I'm like, damn, they're like, I must be boring. Spotify just, just like, cleared published. it from their backlog. They're like, oh, <laughs> no, yeah. Spotify is... was like, uh, Frank it's and all Hooker? clean. It's mm. good. It's fine. We had to review yeah. it, but Frank and Hooker's fine. They cut We're down good. your three and a half hour Frank and Hooker episode. <laughs> there was a lot more to talk about with Super Crack, but. <laughs> yeah, I just, I think this is a really interesting movie and like clearly something bigger was intended. Uh, right and it's it's but i also love that it's pulling from like fairy tales and the bible and mythology and uh, it's it's sort of a a remake in spirit only not in name of course but of <laughs> of der Gollum. so it's like it's got like classic uh you know jewish folklore and silent film lineage as well mm. like i just and and it just looks so incredible like oh the hell guy, yeah the guy who shot this movie like won Oscars and worked on things like oh I don't know yeah. fucking Lawrence of Arabia for <laughs> yeah it's incredible and I mean the, yeah. the 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 cool thing about it too is source material wise it's from a book that came out two years before the movie so I'm sure as they got the book in their hands and they're reading it they're like this is gonna be fucking epic so they put it together it's from a uh, series of books called the uh, Adversary Cycle adversary cycle i always mess that word up for some <laughs> little uh, brit for you eh? just a little brit uh it's by f paul wilson uh and it's it also f. had a paul limited wilson. f paul wilson f, uh, f, f paul, wilson. paul wilson i would uh, publicly say f paul wilson because apparently this is again when i talk about this being a cursed production like imagine another movie where the writer of the source material hates the adaptation so much that he then goes and writes a short story in which a writer puts a voodoo curse on a director who mangled his work. Because that's what F. <laughs> yeah. Paul Wilson did Great. after the release of The Keep. Yep. That's and so much more petty than, like, 
what was it? Oliver Stone taking a hatchet to Tarantino. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or Stephen King taking a hatchet to all of us with that The Shining miniseries. Right. Or, or Gary Paulson taking a hatchet and making all of us read it in seventh grade. <laughs> what a throwback. You're the right. All those <laughs> There's four fucking books of that series, and I think, and then some. Really? Wait. Yes. Wait a minute. Hatchet has multiple books. Yes. We're not talking about the keep anymore. We're no. We're talking, talking about, about the, books the, and the, the hatchet. Yeah, this has turned into a Gary Paulson. Yeah, um, Gary Paulson's hatchet Sorry. series. Like the kid crashes in the plane right in the first one. I think in the second one he like goes back to try to like relive right. it or some shit. I don't Fine. know. Why would you third, do that? Third one has like you know it goes to space or whatever you do in the third of one, course, and then yeah. fourth. <laughs> yeah. But no, seriously, as it was, tradition. Fourth, yeah. Is fourth one the gritty reboot? Is that what it is? It is. Yeah, and it's just called Hatch. It's not Welcome. called Hatchet, it's just called Hatch. <laughs> That's funny. He goes back Welcome to back his larval to... egg state, yeah. Welcome back to Hatchet Men, the podcast where we only talk about the works of Gary Paulson. Should we do that pod? Should no. we do that oh. pod? That's five episodes, we're done. Perfect, <laughs> That's even it. better. It's, it's, a, it's a limited, limited it's another, series pod. Another notch on our, uh, on our completed podcasts, yes. It's, That's uh, what we need, right? Like like how the keep has all those silver crosses. We need that, but with mini pod series everywhere. So okay. So the <laughs> I'm gonna try and describe the plot. <laughs> Good the luck. Keep. We'll be over try. here making jokes while you do it. Yeah, I would love to hear this. <laughs> so there's I just this... watched this like an hour and a half ago. I'm not sure I fully processed. I, I texted Griffey after I finished it and I'm like, I think I understand the theme of this movie. I do not know what the narrative was it's, at all. The The basic theme of the movie is, yeah, Nazis are bad, but like you can't you can't uh, unleash a greater evil to get rid of evil. Because, you know, like it's just like, you know, that evil trumping evil doesn't really solve anything. Right. Right. Uh, but yeah, that's not the plot. <laughs> yeah. The plot is no, no, the plot is that there's a fucking castle in a Romanian town that the right. Nazis happen to be interested in. Uh, they think it, it serves some kind of tactical value. We're not really sure what that is. <laughs> But yeah, it's they, kind of a cul-de-sac. I don't know how tactically it It, it takes place right after the uh, Barbarossa, I think, campaign, where they're basically invading Russia. So they yeah. want the they want the mountains strategically, and they find this keep in the middle of the mountains, and they're like, "Oh, perfect! The keep. <laughs> this looks great for our Nazisms or whatever they're gonna do." Our right? Nazisms. Like, yes, that's literally. <laughs> They're tropes of just hating people and killing people, whatever they do. That's, they were very do. brand oriented as a it movement. Was, yeah. yeah, yeah. They're shtick. They were doing a bit. Um, <laughs> Them and Hugo Boss. Yeah, they, they were, were very brand really yes. committed to it. But yeah, so they they invade essentially the Carpathian region of the the Romanian Alps. So the keep right. might actually hold uh, Prince Vigo. We don't know. Um, but it, it crossover universe or Dracula. It could be any of those things, Duel. but it's not. It's it's Apocalypse from X Men or possibly Dark Side, <laughs> <Universe. laughs> depending on what your comic book affiliation is. This is a better well version of both of those characters than we've seen in movies. So. Yeah, but they they enlist a uh, a Jewish historian, uh, a sort of a a professor of I guess who they pull from a concentration camp correct yes they do yeah, they yeah. Pull, as a like, ruse oh. as a ruse i don't know was he even a professor they're like ha we got the nazis <laughs> now you can escape he's like i'm gotcha. in a wheelchair i can't go anywhere <laughs> like, we build a sick ramp it's gonna be fine <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. I'm gonna gonna put a pin in the plot for just a second because what I love about old <laughs> Ian McKellen is that he is still finding himself as a performer. So his version of an old guy is just rip torn in a wheelchair. <laughs> you listen to the way he talks in this movie, he sounds like rip torn and it's true fucking hilarious. More it's like, see if you can dodge this. Ugh. More men in black, less balloon farm rip torn. Yes. Always it should always be less balloon farm in every yes. asset of life. And if you don't know what that is, look it up. I'm yeah. the Join the Junk Food Cinema Patreon and you'll know a <laughs> yeah, shitload about balloon know. farm. It is funny that we're going to segue back to the keep off of balloon farm because the trailer that plays right before balloon farm is a weird... Uh, is a weird Holocaust drama that starts with one of the characters just looking at the camera and going, "The Jews." Yes. <laughs> like, oh my god! Which is validated Jesus. by the trailer being on, like the the balloon farm being part one on YouTube. That trailer, that whole YouTube video is still out there. So you want to go watch the part one of Balloon Farm, which basically starts the title sequence and then drops. Then you got to go find it in the interwebs. Uh, yeah, as, as sweet and whimsical as a farm that grows balloons starts with right. some Nazi looking at the camera going, Da Jews! And it's just like, what is going on? Strangely, with this? not the keep, though. They weren't, not it wasn't the a trailer keep. for the keep. Nope. Right. <laughs> this priest... Mel Gibson just so rock hard when he watches Balloon Farm. <laughs> <laughs> my balloons. Uh, really sorry about your big balloons. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, Ian McKellen gets gets uh, basically a reprieve from the death camps. Him and his daughter get brought to this keep to decode this ancient language that's on the wall. Because it tur And the reason they're doing this is because as soon as the Nazis get into this keep, they start being murdered by something. Right. They're uh, being greedy and now, evil. But greedy is more. that their worst sin? Is that the worst sin? It's really just greedy because they're fine with him being in there. But as soon as they start trying to take the crosses, the, the silver yeah. crosses, they're like, they're made yeah. of nickel. Not this I mean, one. Okay. To, like, to how much fair, is there? I think Again, I don't know enough about metal or how important that was <laughs> during World War II, but they were like you really, maybe really hard be... about the fact that they were nickel. Food I kind of see you as like the uh, Mel Gibson of metallurgy, though, right? That's kind of what you, you strive for. <laughs> you <laughs> is that what it is? You have to remember there was an expression at the time that and a nickel cross will get you a cup of coffee. So that's really what they were trying to do is just get several cups of just coffee. Get, just get <laughs> lots of coffee. Just yes. jack up this entire village so on caffeine. One of my Got favorite it. things about this movie is the idea of like the lesser of two evils. And that right. just is like a common thing that keeps coming up. Like to the to the point that Jurgen Prock now, who is in this movie because of the success of the boat. I've been told that when I say Das Boot, it's like an anthem. It's the boat, whatever, Das Boot was such a success that they cast Jurgen Prock now in this, and he's sort of the less mean Nazi leader. The reluctant Nazi. The That's, reluctant yeah. Nazi leader, and we think he's the evil one until Gabriel yeah. Byrne shows up with his uh, Richard Spencer haircut. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and we learn that there can be degrees of evil within yeah. the ranks of the Nazis, which is, I yeah. think, one of I the always forget that Gabriel Byrne was once this young in movies. I've assumed he was, like, in his 50s for, like, yeah, I don't know. Thirty he, years. He also had the Dick Smith makeup treatment, where you just think he's old forever. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yes, no, it was nice of them though to put a Nazi to be Das Boot of our empathy. Yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, otherwise it would just be hard to watch. <laughs> right? So, and and so this priest uh, who's played by Robert Prosky, who's a fucking amazing actor, and was mm -hmm. of course in in Thief, Michael Mann's first film. 
um, he he brings Ian McKellen and the daughter in it because he knows they don't actually know what it says, but it's just a ploy because they're friends to like help him escape. Uh, <laughs> and then it turns out gotcha. that there, there is something released in the keep. Uh, this monster called Molasar, who immediately makes uh, makes Ian McKellen young again and able to walk, and it like restores him entirely, and and sort of strikes up this Faustian bargain of like. You know, uh, you know, he tells him, he tells Molasar about all the evils being done in the Holocaust, mm-hmm. and Molasar's pissed. He's like, I'll destroy everyone who kills my people like that, but I have to be able to get out of here, so you have to take this artifact out of the keep so that I can leave the keep, because they realize that this thing wasn't built to keep anybody out, it was built to keep something in. And so the whole movie is basically uh, this, it's Ian McKellen wrestling with his conscience at the idea of like, if I take this guy out of here, I can save all of my people from these death camps, but who knows what will happen to the world once this thing is right. out. And then Scott Glenn, who is just, I guess, on a, a sex vacation of Eastern Europe, deciding, oh, shit, I guess I better go do my job. He's like a secret angel or something. It's like the weirdest, like, by the way, like, when he wakes up in Greece, you're like, all right. Yep. This movie now. And he's on cool. the slowest motorcycle that you've ever seen in these shots. <laughs> You're, like, you're like, trying to see if he's like slowly gonna fall but off. he wakes yeah. up to like snow right like there's snow above him right? yeah there's some sort of magical transference there's of power ma- some sort of something in the air okay and you should be slinging dick closer to home it went to the nearest scott glenn in the area because otherwise <laughs> it would have, you know like it would have transcended and gone to the next yeah it, it first went to the astronaut uh who at this point would have been a child and then it was like oh shit uh, so anytime there's a, a huge missing swath in the narrative, uh, I really, I'm going to start, I'm going to start just going, because what basically Paramount did was line miles of 35 millimeter film up against a wall and machine gun it. And that's how they edited this movie. Yeah. Uh, so basically, anytime that there's something that doesn't make sense, just imagine Paramount lining that film up against the wall that had all the scenes that would have explained this and just mowing it down with bullets because that's essentially what they did. I mean, it's also like, I don't know about you guys. I noticed also like audio cuts that were awkward, like that Tangerine Dream score is happening and then it's just like cut. Oh, cool. We're moving on. <laughs> What? Uh, okay. Cool. My bad. My bad. I cool. was enjoying that. That's my fault. I That's how they attention. build the ticking clock in because Scott Glenn doesn't seem to be in any rush to stop this from happening. He's no, taking he a sweet lo- ass time to get looking there. Looking out a window, hanging. Scott up. Glenn shows up in the fucking village and he's like, "I am two city blocks away from this evil that might come out and destroy the world. I better stop to have some sting style sex yes. with this young lass." He could oh, yeah. be. They could be sitting there holding hands in that weird crucifix position, while fucking Molestar just walks out the fucking door. He completely forgets the sun in its jealous sky as he walks <laughs> in her fields of gold. <laughs> is that is that a Led Zeppelin song that I'm not aware of? <laughs> no, it's a Tantric Sting song. Oh, okay, got it. All right. That's why that I was like, I was close forever. enough. Yeah, that's why that joke enough. took forever. How many times do you think Scott Glenn did that though? Like, I just want to know what it's like to fuck as a mortal man. Is that like oh, his go-to he used that line in every country? That's why I'm saying he was on a every sex time. vacation. Yeah, that's literally how he just blazed through Slovakia. You know what though? I always imagined this is how genie is the moment Aladdin ends. 
You know what I mean? Do you ever stop and yeah. think about? I'm like, for sure, I have the first not, thing but he's I will doing. Now do that every day of the rest of my life. Yeah, yeah. Just he puts on his sure, Hawaiian like, shirt so he can go hit up like a fucking swinger convention. And then he looks down and he's like, "Oh my god, I have a penis too." And that's yeah. like, that's the second Aladdin movie is. Then this is this is the three and a half hour cut of Aladdin that just never made it. Yeah. <laughs> really, what you're trying Disney to tell me? lining all that they footage up against the wall. They did. They did. It was because Will Smith wasn't around yet. They couldn't bring him from the keep. I can't wait for Aladdin 4, Genie's Rumspringer. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Tell me you wouldn't watch that, though. I, of course I would watch that. Of I watched Balloon watch Farm. That. But I watched Balloon Farm, so I really, I bet that's I'm what Genie really, calls his dong. I'm not the... <laughs> so let's... let's... <laughs> Let's you 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 made a point about the the soundtrack and some of the audio cuts. The soundtrack in general is uh is is created and uh birthed by Tangerine Dream, which at this time they were already an established artist. This was their twenty third soundtrack and their fifty eighth overall of their music career. So they were completely on board. Uh, of the sixteen songs of the original soundtrack, only four were used in the film. The best part about this film is everything is mysterious around it, even the soundtrack releases, right? So right. Uh, very hard to find. It was only officially released in 1997 at first at a concert with 150 CDs, right? That was the only <laughs> thing that you could get. Hell yeah. Uh, later on, there was a discussion about the 1984 LP release that was supposedly supposed to happen. And there was conversations about people going to the store, seeing it on the shelf, not having enough money then going running back and then seeing it gone and all that shit. Well, it didn't show up until 2013 by a collector. And then there was a repressing at the same time of a, <laughs> what what was to believe to be an already known leak, but was actually the original 1984 pressing. There's a bunch of random shit happening with the soundtrack releases, but until yeah. 2020, we never got an official release on vinyl of the original soundtrack. So this film has mystery all up in its shit. <laughs> And yeah. Tangerine Dream is 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 uh, not left out, but it is an incredible soundtrack and the last yeah. collaboration as of right now between Michael Mann and Tangerine Dream because they had a great relationship in Thief. And that's where I'm just like, this movie just went awry. Didn't have a big budget. Didn't really have the the just the chemistry that the Thief had. And it was just very bizarre. That and it had went no from... studio confidence. I mean, what we're yeah. talking about essentially is most of the elements of this film getting buried in the keep and never to be seen again. Like... <laughs> We'll never see the missing two hours of this movie. You know, we almost didn't get the the soundtrack was apparently released with a few copies and nobody told anybody. So nobody even knew it existed. And it's like now you can buy like Italian and German bootlegs that people thought were just ripped from, you know, various shitty elements, but turned out to be ripped from the original LP release that nobody knew existed. <laughs> yep. Wow. Yep. And by the time here's the thing. This movie failed so spectacularly that <laughs> The U.S. held on to, like, the U.S. release, it was buried in home video release, and they waited so long to release it but that by the time it came out, Michael Mann had already been successful with what he retreated to, which was Miami Vice. Yeah. He retreated to television and created Miami Vice because of the failure of this movie, and they waited so long to release it that by the time The Keep comes out, and it's extremely limited release, he's already successful with Miami Vice. Like, if it weren't for the failure of The Keep, there would be no Miami Vice, and I think that's fascinating. This is also the time when going to like TV was like that was the failure. Tail like, between that was your like, legs, mm -hmm. right? You totally fucked up. So now you have to do TV. Like now it's like interchangeable. It doesn't fucking matter. But like in the, from like the eighties until like 
I don't know, The Sopranos yep. or Oz. <laughs> like literally until like HBO became HBO, going to TV was like, oh, you fucked No up. matter what the series, like would Columbo even be considered like uh, an honor to direct an episode? Like I, is there, were there even any that was I don't even know. I don't even like, think there were like, I no, I don't think so. Work. I mean like, yeah. it was work. Like That's that crazy. was like, you fucked Why? up in movies, you gotta go do TV. So what was the HBO slogan when The Sopranos first premiered, when Oz first premiered? What was their... Was there, Wasn't it's not TV? It's, it's not HBO. TV, it's not. HBO. <laughs> ah. Literally setting the expectation that, I know you think TV is shitty, but don't worry, we're better. You <laughs> haven't seen better. The Keep yet. No, I'm just playing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which will release on our platform later. I know you think TV is shitty, but have you watched The Keep? No, yes. that's, that's not to say... Is. This this movie is a mess, and even Michael Mann, who was uh, thought to be repressed in this movie, I'm not good. He doesn't really mind it. He just says that there's no way we're going to be able to ever put it together. But right. I love the elements of the mystery. Yeah. I think it's a really interesting movie because what you have to do is decide to sympathize with a Nazi at one point. That's a really yeah. hard bargain it gives to it up. for American yeah. viewers. That's a very strange thing because, like, yeah, Jurgen Prochnow, you're like. I think that guy's a good guy. What's going on? Like yeah. he is a Nazi. That's a terrible thing to be. It's, and I'm like, it's unfortunate what? that he's sort of the mouthpiece for the idea of like looking at this, like looking at the world with a, a moral relativism where yeah. it's like, you know what it's, it's, it's basically so the imagine this movie is the high concept fantasy version of that stupid question that every stoned friend you've ever had ask you like would you go back in time and kill baby hitler there it is oh I yeah knew gonna say that's it. what this is this movie is essentially asking you like would you release a world eating demon that would probably destroy everything in its path if it meant you could stop the holocaust yeah that's that's the central moral uh meat that you're chewing on with this movie and unfortunately jürgen Prochnow is like <laughs> he's the sizzle of that steak and that's really unfortunate but uh it's yeah. weird yeah again it's 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 very gristly to use the same analogy yeah <laughs> it's, yeah it's dude also... i would totally let that thing go and you don't go back and kill baby hitler you go back and kill hitler's dad first off i may have been stoned <laughs> and debated this before because then you stop him from making more hitlers down the road you okay. know what i mean isn't there I, like a I butterfly guess I have to know what you mean yes isn't there like a butterfly effect rule that like you could be bringing on like a new era of what was the i've never thing? seen a butterfly commit genocide that's all i'm gonna say Science. No, blake's right if if a butterfly flies back in time and kills baby hitler then <laughs> that means that ashton kutcher will have a film career i don't know See, that's I, what I, I was gonna say i thought you were gonna say ashton kutcher you, becomes hitler and i was like jesus christ mm, that would have been butterfly a butterfly might not have caused a holocaust but ashton kutcher definitely ended up in jail and definitely almost blew that guy but ended up going did to he blow a guy in jail almost it was close are you talking you about a movie it. thing i was like did i miss a really cool we song? watched this movie for the show <laughs> oh shit dude oh butterfly effect the movie <laughs> you should not watch this film it is i was great. just like if i was in jail i wouldn't want to blow aston kutcher because he only takes a bath once a week he says that's an unblowable person speaking of an unblowable person brian Why? what was the monster in the keeps <laughs> Molester. Molestar. Molestar. Okay. Molester. So, mo uh, that's where I was like, I'm not going to try to pronounce it because that's what's going to come out. So I'm going to hold on that. Uh, but this, the way that they introduce the character is very Mysterio. Like he's got, he's got clouds around him. He's saved yeah. this woman from rape. Like, and yeah. he's bringing it back to the father. 
and he comes out and what it comes out is like you kind of mentioned it's like this weird uh i would think nemesis like this just weird looking dude and and you know to the lore apparently michael mann changed his mind a few times about how this was supposed to look and he kind of like never really decided so what we have is like a hodgepodge camel of a horse oh i thought that was on <laughs> see this is i read that too and then i was like is this on purpose because like there's the the smoke monster essentially the first time you see him and yeah. then he's like this weird sinewy like you can like expose yeah. muscle type like lord zed thing he's like yeah. ivan news in his prime yeah and then the last one is like the man <laughs> in the iron mask like encased in carbonite type thing like which you know but again i was like is this like an evolution thing like he's preparing to go out into the world because i had read that yeah, they had done like a bunch of different looks and could never settle on it. But then I was, I was thinking, I'm like, did they just make it work, or is this? It seems like they just made it, it work because the character, you know, <laughs> I think is me. really cool. I have the yeah. T-shirt of it, but Dude, really, that's awesome. Yeah, I should actually have just worn that. That's weird. You would think I would color coordinate there, but <laughs> eh, whatever. Uh, opportunity. Yeah, it 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 does come together in a very sci-fi. It it all works together in my opinion. The way that the uh, the uh, Molasar looks, however. Yeah. It could have been way more epic, and there's more talk about the actual ending of the film and what was supposed to happen versus what we got, and that's simply just because uh, the studio was like, no, you're not getting more budget to then do a, a crazy special effects thing. Oh, with by the way, the guy has already died, so what are you going to do about that? Like, Yeah, right. Every time you look at Molasar and you're like, Michael Mann changing his mind, and just imagine he looks over it. Wally Beavers, and Beavers is like, oh, don't worry, I'll fix it at the end. I got a great idea. <laughs> don't worry. <laughs> I'll be around. I got this. Yeah. You can count on me. <laughs> that was his job security was not writing it down. Right? You, you just hope my you hope Michael Mann just literally never asked him and then he, yeah, he totally took it to the grave. Like Michael Mann was so busy doing other things, he's like, Oh shit, I have no idea how this movie was supposed to look at the end. There there like, was a part of me that I thought specifically the kind of like fog cloud. I was like, Oh, this is smart, man. It's gonna cover up like the fucking, you know, misfires in the the thing. And then by the end of the movie I'm like, Oh, that wasn't an accident. Like he, yeah. he actually is supposed to be this fucking rubber suited whatever. But honestly, I still didn't think it looked that bad. I it doesn't. See, it fits for well all the problems them. this movie has, every time I watch it, I say the same thing to myself, which is that this mook this movie fucking owns. Like yeah. it's so cool. Like visually it's impressive i do need to backtrack a little bit it, it wasn't the cinematographer that worked on lawrence of arabia it was the production designer but this movie like every set in it is a fucking work of art you could pause the movie oh, yeah. at any point and frame that image mm -hmm. like it is just that beautiful um but the cinematographer did shoot fucking excalibur yeah so it's Hell like yeah. I mean, alex thompson uh, you know not, not and a demolition man. Right. and and uh legend which is another film I feel that like is my favorite maligned. visual movie of all time. I fucking and, still to this day love Labyrinth. watching Legend. Yeah, this is a, this is a good this is a, this is a good DP. Yeah, he's he's a great DP. And then it's I like, thought it looked good to be honest with you. It's like, beautiful. Inside the Keep is a staggering set. It kind of reminded me yeah. of when you're watching Mortal Kombat and you're like, why did the set designer go so much harder than everyone else involved in Mortal Kombat? Like yeah. the sets in that movie are bananas awesome. There's you know moments I mean? in this movie that look like when Ian McKellen's like doing that thing in the light with his fist, like I was like, oh, this is like legit acting. Like this is like within <laughs> the scope of this movie. Ian McKellen is not only putting on a show, but we're also getting this like beautiful like shot, like this actor bathed in light. There's this awesome vibe. And you're like, 
I'm in this now. The scene no, when he runs out like. with the talisman and the crosses were lighting up as he ran past. Yeah. I was like, holy shit. Awesome. I agree. It's, this movie's visually awesome. And it's then very one, quarter, one quarter of that Tangerine Dream soundtrack is playing as he's running <laughs> through the yes. game. One so, of the four. Oh, so good. <laughs> what a what a shame. I, yeah. Like, so what is it, six, 16 songs were recorded for this? It's yep, 16. 16. 16 song and album and only four in the movies. Movie. Yeah. Very strange. It's also uh, just... and we... so I watched the Griffey. We we both watched the Pluto. Pluto TV has the cut. It was no like way. was it? No way. Two hours long. I watched the Criterion Channel cut. Oh, it was an hour and thirty. Minutes. So we both like watched a fucking Pluto. grown man. First right, stop. Yeah. How see, dare that's, you? See, that's the problem. Like we. Don't, I like... have the kind of integrity you usually only don't find start. on replay just per stop view. It. First stop, stop it now. How dare what you? aspect ratio did you watch it in, Alex? God. Yeah. Oh, I watched it in. Hang on, I can tell you what it was. Suck my ass. Actually, ratio. I can't. Whatever his, whatever his, whatever Michael Mann's preferred aspect ratio is like one. Did point, you watch? One, did you watch it on two, three, Poopy five. or did you watch it on Criterion Channel? Because two B uh, is Poopy. Obviously, Criterion. Mm. I will say that according it, to Griffey, he this was the first movie that he shot in two three five. Yeah, that's what it is. Which yeah. is he would do from this point on in his career. Um like he just thought the movie should be big and you can't sweep people away and and uh 185 and mono so he this is actually a uh, a revelation for him like it, it taught him something about making movies um but just like from the very start you know you're shooting this movie in wales surprise there's a lot of rain so like <laughs> principal photography getting delayed he's not getting the money he needs like they're they're not gonna let him like make the movie he wants i mean he's He's so dis. I'm surprised we get a Michael Mann movie after this. Like well, it's he a, is- he's failing upwards. And and do yeah. you, do you think that at the end of the day, he's still figuring it out? Like even though Thief is like amazing, and I don't ha- think has any flaws really. Do you think that his second film, he's still trying to work this out where he's like, oh shit, this might be too big of a of a fucking take on my next film. And then he has to figure it out. And then he goes to Manhunter, right? Right. So, yeah, did Manhunter next? Yeah, so that's where I'm like, I it just it's interesting how you get a bang of a first film, and then your second film is just like you have like a stew of things, and and what you have I think is great, but it right. just seems like there's there was a punch above his weight, and it's just strange from a Michael Mann perspective because later on in his career with Black Hat is ass, but you know what I mean. Like most of the time he was <laughs> but so it is, solid, but it is like totally outside. Like it is like it's like thief manhunter uh this movie could have been called this, manhunter it's this like is the same this thing. one and last of the mohicans are like so far outside what he normally does you're like interesting like, yeah why these items why are these two in your filmography part of like you know and i think brian's right like there's something to learn from the keep and that is like the aspect ratio but also like how to shoot those really big beautiful things and like he made things look so awesome in that movie well and like that is an undisputed thing about i feel like what's very singular in the career of michael mann when you talk about the keep is that michael mann is a director who is obsessed with minutia obsessed with details when you watch movies like heat and you watch how how he used technical advisors to get all of the language Mm -hmm. and all of the like specific steps in the heist correct the details he's all about the details so when you watch a movie like the keep where so much is kind of left up to the audience's imagination and left unexplained and left kind of open-ended you know that was not his intention because that's not the kind of filmmaker he is. yeah totally 
Strangely, though, it, it works really well, right? There is something to this kind it of ethereal. Mm-hmm. It, it, so. it strikes us as, right, because he even says that, right? The Nazis, like, you know, we are the new, we'll write the next 10,000 years. There's just something about people stumbling into kind of antiquity and having no fucking idea, but being like, we got this. All right, yeah. we have cars. We'll fucking understand whatever the fuck is happening, right? So you get this kind of, they feel like they own everything, right? And, and the mystery, you get you get this extra sense like we don't even know. So it adds to this kind of like gloom and doom of the movie. What I think is really interesting to what you guys were saying, though, I think you don't fault a filmmaker for going really big and missing some things, right? Because what he did, he didn't do like, um, what was that fucking movie where Channing Tatum was like a fucking Mars dog or whatever? Like, that's one of those. Oh, it's my like, God. Jupiter oh, Ascending. Jupiter yeah, Ascending. Yeah, where it's like you had the, the time and whatever. You just fucking missed. Like, you clearly didn't understand what a story should be. Right. I feel like in this one, most people who watch it, right, are like, he knew what he was doing. And he was on his way to make a great movie. Just real world, you Shit know, obstacles fucking yeah. Yeah. hindered him. So I don't think you knock people for taking the big swing and it doesn't go exactly right. Because um, clearly the studio is building something to keep the keep in. there's enough mystery involved and lore involved in this movie to capture a new audience and that's why i do think that the criterion collection or whatever the fuck distribution even vinegar syndrome whoever release this damn fucking movie right release it in a in a in a a format that deserves the respect it needs because i guarantee there will be a new audience that finds appreciation for this film it has a cult following as much as as uh, you know michael mann has not completely disown the film he is one of the two big roadblocks to it getting that release uh every time they try to do it it's always michael mann being like i don't want my name on it i don't want it to be associated and the tangerine dream like trying to get the rights for the music ends up being such a nightmare that none of these houses will will go near it but i do think we are well past the time that and i gotta say this that criterion channel stream is the best looking stream i have ever seen it like i am used to watching this movie through muddy sunglass filters <laughs> like on youtube or Tubi. it was like, similar to the 35 millimeter that we saw the in 35 the millimeter us. print was flawless because again this movie got like secretly released in a couple theaters and then dumped to the still burgeoning home video market so like it really did get buried so that 35 millimeter print was pristine and then this stream i was like man i can see detail that i've never seen before Mm-hmm. Uh, and I still thought the movie was beautiful, even watching it like through on muddy YouTube. It still was beautiful. So, I mean, I really, really highly encourage anyone who hasn't seen it to watch that Criterion Channel stream. And it makes me even more hopeful that someday we'll get a quality Blu-ray of this movie because we fucking deserve it, man. And, it's weird Paramount hasn't yeah. put this this one back out. Like, it's very strange to me. Like, again, there's just not enough shit on the shelf from them, and then, right. like, there's no reason for them not to. Yeah, it's. I mean, they, it's, they don't want to overwhelm us on Paramount Plus with things you might actually want to yeah. watch. Star Star Trek shows <laughs> and the Keep. I mean, yeah, this is it. this is the quintessential Janus Films project from Criterion. I mean, in two thousand nine, Michael Mann stated that he loved the Keep for what it was of the production value and the way that they shot it because it's a beautiful film. And I think that that alone is worth saving. Mm-hmm. But he's like, but yeah, we'll never figure that film out because it needs to stay and it's and it basically trailed off. But the idea is he's like, that's it's just done. We don't need to go back to that. But I do think you need to release it. You need to just say there, it's fucking done. It's right there. It's on the shelf. It now goes to this. It's not a bad Michael Mann film. 
you can go and appreciate this film just after watching thief and then going to manhunter and being like yeah it was an audacious punch but the, this is not a shit movie it's not no. you know i saw one star reviews on letterboxd i'm like man i don't what? know if we watched i don't know if we watched the same movie it's incoherent yes but it's not it's like a dream everything is mysterious it's like i i don't even remember watching this because it's a dream you know it's just like it every time <laughs> that you watch it, it it drags you into this mystery and everything that doesn't quite answer your questions about the plot is almost like intentional i know that it's not but it just seems like okay whatever like it goes with it yeah it just i loved it it doesn't detract my enjoyment of the film i think that's a really special thing about the keep is that me not fully understanding it does not mean i don't enjoy the movie and i don't know i can count on one hand probably the amount of movies that i'm willing to watch that have that yeah. mystique to them yeah and it's engaging the entire time it is visually arresting like this it's it's a fucking symphony of yeah. of like moog you know what i mean like mm -hmm. it's just it's such a like there isn't a movie like this like there are movies that are kind of in the same ballpark but like there's nothing like this that exists and i've always been of the mind that like even if a movie turns out to be a mess there can sometimes be a lot of beauty in that mess and in this mm -hmm. case i think you know we know the movie that michael mann was trying to make and you i know a lot of people are like well what's on the screen and that's fine but I also think if we're going to consider cinema to be a, as much a part of our culture as it is, as a dominant part of our culture, then the stories surrounding the production become their own folklore. Mm. And since this movie is, you know, in part so much about folklore, I think the fact that it has such a fascinating, tragic at points, uh, insane at points story behind the, this cursed production, I think all of that kind of culminates into a very singular experience that, I am I'm just thrilled that I've had multiple times mm -hmm. like I just and I, I I can't think of any maybe a couple other movies that I can say that about yeah well I just I think you're just being a, a bit pretentious with yourself if you see a movie that's doing so much w this well and has this cast you might be acting like the c-word giving it one star any movie <laughs> with this cast is not a one-star movie Agreed. every actor in this movie is fucking awesome even Scott Glenn, whatever the fuck he is with his fucking lenses and <laughs> that one scene where he has his traps out, but the next scene he's got a shirt back on. Yep. Like, whatever that is, he's still putting on a good performance, right? 40 minutes of the cut was just him having sex with a bunch of European women. That's really what we missed. Honestly, though, needed that. Needed yeah. more of that. <laughs> we need the real-world stakes, right? It's a like, big challenge for him be to be honest, I know that we, like, that's the joke. But truthfully, like the backstory, I that is the one thing that I think clearly got cut out of the movie. Like, I could, I actually could have learned a little more about Scott Glenn. I'm like, oh, how interesting. This yeah. like, immediately goes in my Hall of Fame of when you're watching a movie and you're just like, people don't fuck like that. Right? <laughs> people do fake. not fuck like that fake. ever, ever. Ian, right? Ian people McKellen. don't. People don't crucify themselves while they're entering. I've seen. I've done the research. It's just not a thing that occurs. I think our theory that he is on a European sex tour is uh, validated by Ian McKellen's line where he says, he is like a hammer. He can smash them. <laughs> I think, uh, I like, think we know right. what he's talking about. What he's if in the recut they add Scotty doesn't know and we just kind of bring it all together? Yep. Does, <laughs> film, all part does of film Alchemist have a, uh, a t-shirt store? Because you could make a uh, Scott Glenn uh, European sex tour yeah, uh, t-shirt. And his eyes like are glowing white. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Scott Glenn, call us. We can, sell, we can sell tens of shirts together. 
Believe you me, that would be a very popular shirt. Michael Mann oh, would be yeah. primed to get that one. We should fucking do that. We should do it. We got to get we our should... shirt nerds on it. Yeah. I will say this movie has affected the way I see Scott Glenn in other movies because, like, if you watch Silence of the Lambs and, like, 90% of that movie is shot in close-up, there's all yeah. these close-up scenes of him as uh, the FBI guy whose name is escaping me now, Jack something, Crawford, Jack Crawford. Uh, every time they're in really tight, close up on him i just want his eyes to start glowing white even as yeah. jack crawford yep <laughs> i still it's... never like i still have no idea why he left why he's but it's just awesome i i yeah. still to this day i like movies that don't just feed me all the answers especially in today's movies right when you go to the theater you know there's going to be three scenes i call it like the ellen page from inception role right where we literally have to stop the movie so a character can go, what's that? And someone else can do, like, a fucking monologue about what we should know. Yeah. And it's you just fucking tune out, right? There's well, something the about actively Movie on the rails. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Take me on the rails. Oh, intro. Oh, there's the fucking... Here's the, the third act that. and the conclusion. Thank you. I've had my popcorn. I'm fat now. Bye. Go see you The king of that tomorrow. forever. The king of that forever is Michael J. Fox in Back to the Future. He explains <laughs> so much to the audience by saying the same words, which is, are you telling me? And then <laughs> tells you exactly what's happening. Like, like he is the greatest right. audience mouthpiece of all time. Yeah, that's a that's a really good. I actually it's weird that that never like jumped out at me because right? <laughs> you're he like, for all of its science fiction, it. it's about the most straightforward time travel movie of all time. Yeah, it really yeah. is. Also leading to one of the greatest stoner debates, do you think your mom would want to bang you if you were in high school together? Would you go back in time and stop Eric Stoltz from being in Back to the... Wait, we already did that? Okay. <laughs> Someone <laughs> already did that mission for <laughs> Already happened. Are you telling me? Never mind. Yeah. So Back to the Future was an amazing film, and y'all should watch it. Wait, this what? Is yeah. Oh, wait. Oh, shit. No, this is the key. Yeah. And in fact, did not star Eric Stoltz. This is true. Neither does the keep. So right back. <laughs> there should be more movies that don't star Eric Stoltz. If we're being like a hundred percent honest with our fans here. No, he's a fine actor, but he's more of like the Nazi who pulls the. Th I'm not saying Eric Stoltz is a Nazi. I'm. I'm getting. I'm you getting literally just stated it. You literally just said that. <laughs> I meant he should be playing the character of like greedy Otto. That's like kind of where I like my Eric Stoltz. Right. Yeah. Griffey just uh, declared a Stoltzkrieg on her. <laughs> Second shirt idea of the episode. We're going to yeah, be fucking man. rich. Yeah. Or what if this whole complaints. podcast was just listing movies that Eric Stoltz isn't in? This is our 1,000th episode. <laughs> I think movies Scott where you're like, this could use a real Stoltz. Like, Eric Stoltz. This could use a real injection of Stoltz, if I'm yeah. being honest. Was Eric Stoltz in Mask? Today I we're going to talk about Maybe. Fluke, a movie that does not star <laughs> Eric Stoltz. <laughs> <laughs> we're running out guys we're running out of movies it doesn't start john ham or uh chevy chase either <laughs> oh, no. that's fletch not oh. <laughs> weird weird fletch there my bad weird fletch bro, oh, shit. <laughs> weird fletch, bro. <laughs> any final thoughts on what if someone is still on the fence or there's some fucking eric stoltz level c word out there who still hates the keep what's your final sales pitch Fuck you, I don't want to be friends with you. Nice. Fair enough. <laughs> yeah. no, holding just... human affection, that's a great <laughs> that yeah. I, I, I implore you to think about your imagination and stop being in your own ass and think about when you're when you're watching a movie 
think about what goes into that and know yeah. that you've never seen a shitty movie if you're saying that this is a one-star movie because yeah. holy shit something happened to brian are you okay i picked i just stopped the podcast the bit about Don't really listing movies <laughs> listing movies that eric stoltz wasn't in was a bit so i picked the most random film title i could think of i've never seen fluke i pull up the old imdb who is fourth build in the cast for fluke eric the fuck fucking stoltz <laughs> <laughs> that's the worst a in our own well done that's a true fluke <laughs> fuck wow that son of a bitch he's wow. always hiding in there I had thousands of movies to choose from that didn't star Eric Stoltz, and I somehow picked one that he's in. That I, wow. Uh, so what do you think of this Eric, Eric Stoltz movie, Brian? Well, Eric Stoltz in The Keep is phenomenal as as yeah. Molestar. Yeah. Um, as Star, yeah. Eric Stoltz rocks. <laughs> I can't wait to see him in Endgame. <laughs> or whatever. Endgame's again or something. I don't know. Ender's I, Game. I think your life will be enriched by the experience of seeing the keep. I really do. Like, I really think it'll teach you something about expanding your mind and accepting the idea of film as an art form and how art is not always linear and how art is not always easy and it's not always easy to swallow. And like, I just, I think this is a movie that, you know, you can, you can ponder at what it wanted to be and what it could have been. You can, um lament all of the the things that went wrong and then you can still be blown away by how what was salvaged out of that train wreck is still so gorgeous and so unique and just i i don't know like i would watch this movie every fucking day yeah well it is cinema is unique in that that there is no other form of art between artist and audience where more things can go wrong that, like, no other art form deals with that on the scale that movies do. And so, again, to even say, right, I had this cursed production and, you know, the studio was shotgunning, you know, various bits of the movie. It's still fucking awesome. I had never seen it today, and I was I was gearing up for, a, you know, all right, how are we going to defend this decrepit old film? <laughs> I thought it was awesome. So, Brian, this yeah. year has brought me two movies that will be on my favorite first-time watches of the year, this and Drive. Uh, I think this movie fucking rules, man. <laughs> You know, I, I don't really see what anyone's complaint is with it, to be honest. Yeah, I cannot imagine complaint. I, I can't imagine sitting down for a movie called The Keep with no knowledge and having a complaint about it because it delivers <laughs> literally what you've it's what you've asked for. Scott Glenn like, and sex. You have no idea and what you're going to do. Glenn. Shirtless Scott Glenn, maybe Eric Stoltz, Molasar, <laughs> Nazis getting murdered. <laughs> Eric Stoltz, Mola, starring Scott Glenn. It's a wild movie. And guys. baby Hitler being murdered by butterflies. There it is. If I can no, grab... you castrate Hitler's dad. Stoners, back me Sorry. up. <laughs> so if I could put a bow on this conversation and go full Gene Shalit for a second, I feel like what we're saying <laughs> is that, ironically, we do not need to defend the keep. Uh, <laughs> we're not going to do better than that. Thank you guys uh, for joining us and making the time. Will you tell the guys, uh, the peeps, one more time where they can find all your stuff? Uh, you can find me reincarnated as a dog named Fluke, frantically searching for a movie that doesn't star Eric Stoltz to pull out of my ass. What the <laughs> fuck happened with that? That's insane awesome. to me. And I, I just like, I put my phone out thinking, what if I'm wrong? No. no, no. He's not in. Oh, God damn it. So more musings <laughs> like that and more mistakes of that epic nature can be found on Junk Food Cinema every week with myself and C. Robert Cargill. 
basically, movies that are sometimes bad for you, but we love them anyway, and we are unburdened by core values, and shame is not a thing that exists in this dojo, so... Uh, I hope you enjoy that, and I will leave it to Blake to plug our other podcast, Replay Perview. That's right. If you like wrestling and you like going back through a specific timeline of wrestling, well, we have the show for you because we review every old pay-per-view as we lead up to what it is of today. So we are in 2002 right now. We started in 2000, so we've made quite a lot of progress. And uh, as they say, my name is Block A, uh, at Boston Sally on the uh, <laughs> on the interwebs. And if you would like to join the Discord, it, you can do so for a dollar an episode as well. So yeah, yes. uh, you get Patreon.com slash Junk Food Cinema. Become part of Film Alchemist. Become part of Junk Food Cinema and put yeah. those two things together because it is a Enjoy wonderful this. time to have yeah. great friends to talk about movies. I feel like I, it's going to be I a surprise. The... To... Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Brad. I feel like it's going to be a surprise to no one that we appreciate the train wreck that is the key when we're also willingly watching WWF pay-per-views of the early 2000s. <laughs> Like, yeah, we, we, we understand the irony. Hard. That's true. Yeah, I, I am uh, over on the Patreon Discord. You guys truly have built one of the finest communities uh, that I have seen through the podcast. A lot of awesome people over there. Guys, you got to join that uh, that Patreon. You can even hear me and Alex over there on uh, the Junk Food Cinema. I don't remember what movies we did because as soon as these are done, I forget everything. I know we did The World Is Not Enough. That's oh my god that's right r.i.p hagrid r.i.p i i might see if i've got some incriminating photos of you two to see if you'll do a uh amityville movie with me as a commentary yes. and i'm you not know talking funny? about i started not talking about the good ones this october no yeah. no you haven't griffey no I'm you haven't six in no i'm talking have you seen about... amityville in space motherfucker there we go i love in space sequel brian no you, you don't you call me i'll be there what are we talking and we got to do our hatchet mini series. Also on the we Junk Food Cinema and Phil yeah. Alchemist Patreon. <laughs> <laughs> well, the first do three will be on Junk yes, Food. The last two will be on Film Alchemist. You got to do yes. <laughs> Yeah, I'll Gotta do any. I will watch any movie. I'm Challenge talking about accepted. movies like Amityville Zombie Infestation, Amityville in Space, Amityville Karen, which is a nice. real movie. Apparently, here's so just a, a quick thing and then a, a backstory on this. I'm doing a thing for our patrons <laughs> called the Amityville Gauntlet where yeah. I'm watching all these movies because apparently you can't copyright a real tragedy. So some dude found a loophole where he could call anything he wants Amityville whatever and then just like <laughs> use photographs of the actual house maybe once or twice and convince people it's part of the same universe and has just made some of the absolute dirtiest terriblest bargain basement shit you've ever seen in your like literally whole scenes where you can see reflections in the robot's helmet of people sitting indians or cross-legged on the awesome. floor filming the movie with their iphone <laughs> <laughs> like awesome. that sounds great i yeah well let's see because by the time we were in part three they're like scary houses are fine but what if it's a lamp right <laughs> and then part the four they're lamps. like all right i get it lamps weren't the jam you ever seen a fucking clock? So like Amityville <laughs> went off the rails like early in the franchise. Yeah. And normally with commentaries, I don't like punching down. But with these movies, I am hitting the devil in the dick. That's how far down we are punching with Hell these yeah. awful fucking movies. But that should be another name of a podcast. We'll start exclusively on the junk food cinema Patreon. Network. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, go check out junk food cinema and replay preview. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow because every year we do this to ourselves. 31 days, 31 pods. See you there. Bye.